ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cinema Hangover, where three completely unqualified individuals drink and talk about movies, but tonight we're going to have something a bit more special. So we actually have four hosts tonight, including myself, Taylor, Oliver, Shannon, and Riley. Yes, Riley's coming in uh, from Colorado, correct? Colorado. Denver? Yes, and he's going to be joining us for tonight's discussion. And what are we going to be talking about tonight, Oliver? Today we watched a very special movie, Mm -hmm. It's a Wonderful Life, but before we get into that... We are also drinking something pretty special. Very, very special. It is green tea. Yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> just, just, just it is pretty good though. Just I... green tea. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah I don't think I've ever actually drank green tea. Nice. I'm glad you guys think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it's oh it's really yummy. Well, it adds a nice little bit of like refinement to our. But know, actually, this yeah. this movie I don't think anyone has seen except for Riley. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, guess. and it was Riley's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that we've all heard. No, yeah. the what? Most people I don't hear about movies Most... that were made in the forties. What? I've never heard of this movie. Okay. This is like no, one no, of the most no like... 40s movies. No. This is like one of the quintessential Christmas movies um, that pops Citizen up like all Kane. the time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Damn. God. After we... Okay. It's a, I feel like it's one of those movies like when you Google the list of the best Christmas movies, yeah. number one. Well, and it, it was public oh, access. It was public access for uh, like fifty Wait, years or something. Really? Like, yeah, long, for a long time, which is why yeah. it was always in other movies. Damn. But that's maybe that's later on we can address that part because I bet Riley knows more about that than the I history, do. The nitty yeah, gritty. yeah, the yeah. nitty gritty details. Because I'm all about the history. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm excited like, for that. That's why I like movies. Well, that's why you're here. Yeah. Otherwise, you know. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I don't know if I can give a synopsis as good for this as maybe you could because you've seen it a few times. Do you want to just really like just explaining the plot of the film or is it more? Like yeah, like just a, give me a, like thirty thousand foot view. What's it about? Thirty thousand foot. Well, yeah. it's about a guy yep. who seemingly has everything most people would want in life, but it's not everything he wanted. So he has to go through this you know journey to figure out and realize that he has everything he wanted, and it all kind of is themed around Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those cool Christmas movies because it's not heavy on Santa Claus mm-hmm. or Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it the, takes the, like the general message of both e- of the yeah the greatness of all of that and the themes of all of that. And there, there's like some praying, but not like it's not a religious movie. It's not one that's gonna like turn you off if you're <laughs> not for that. <laughs> right. For right. sure, right. yeah, for sure. But I mean, it this movie's been out since 1946, right? Two so, years, yeah. Yeah, so it's been out for <laughs> a few years. Or 47. 46. 46. It came okay. out December of 46. Yeah. Like right before the new year. So it came out in 1946. So at, like normally in this podcast, we would we would go over kind of the details of it before getting any spoilers. But I really think at this point, if you haven't seen it, it's it's, it's been out. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, yeah. It's been around. We can just, yeah, it, it for a little bit, for a hot for, minute. Yeah. Screw it. We're going to spoiler territory. So, yeah, I mean, like, 70 something years. Basically, right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think. One of the things that I found really interesting about this movie behind the scenes before the actual movie was that it like bombed at the box office yeah. when it first came yeah, out. Oh, really? Yeah. It was an absolute disaster. Like, yeah. Nobody wanted to see it and nobody went and saw it and it it was shelved. Like yeah. oh, after wow. 1946 it was it disappeared. And it was nominated for some awards though, right? Or, I think it was, but yeah. it wasn't yeah, it just didn't play well cuz the director Frank Capra had come off like a decade of absolute hit movies. Yeah, you know he kind of invented the romantic comedy in 1934 with really? it, it happened one night. Oh wow! If you've never seen that, it's 
absolutely wonderful. It mm. completely created the slapstick comedy genre. That yeah. would explain a yeah. lot about this film because one of there's the, a lot of physical humor. Yes, for sure. And one of the things it's, I was just gonna say right now, it's a very charming film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the best way to express it. It's like very charming, just the characters, the interactions, and especially the. Uh, romance between uh, what was it, George and Mary? It's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's like the cutest thing ever. Yeah, well, and I, th- I think like that's like one of the most overwhelming things that I read and hear about this movie is it's just like a feel good movie. Like it oh, just yeah. feels good to watch it. Like it's just very. I mean, it has its dark moments, but it's it's net very positive. Yeah, right. which is kind of something that a lot of movies just aren't <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> I feel like at least right. Um, and so I, I feel like that's. I agree. That's kind of like what I pick up a lot of on, on it too well could you imagine if he just killed himself at the end and that was it <laughs> yeah that, it just ended well that was probably that that movie's coming out next year it's, it's a horrible life and it just ends with <laughs> i i did think that i did think that it was kind of an interesting parallel so basically at the end of the movie he's going to kill himself by jumping into the river right? right and he's stopped by his guardian angel whose name is clarence clarence, clarence yeah, yeah. Um, but I did think it was kind of an interesting parallel to the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. in that in the beginning he saves his brother and that's kind of where you see his life start, mm-hmm. like his good deeds mm-hmm. from falling mm-hmm. into a frozen lake. Yeah. And so to end his life, he jumps into or is going to jump into a frozen river. I didn't right. even think about that. So it's kind that. of just like an interesting yeah. parallel. And there's like a few moments like that. I'm, again, I'm it's, sure. It's all just plans and payoffs. Yeah. yeah. Like, a, yeah. a great movie is full of things that are planted early and then later on, rewards of what makes a movie good yeah you yeah know, i think that's why the ending it like it moved i don't know did, did the i end, cried oh, yeah did the ending of that movie yeah move you did you cry at work <laughs> so she so shannon <laughs> shannon started it last night i fell asleep. asleep like 30 minutes till the end um just because i was tired nothing about the movie mm-hmm. so i was like okay right I before have just like to... the greatest, yeah. the greatest moments and it was like <laughs> sitting there trying to keep my eyes open and i just couldn't but I finished it at work on my lunch, and yeah, I was just crying in the break room. <laughs> People were walking, that's and they're huge. like, "What are you that's, watching?" And I'm like, it's that's a huge life. ups for Riley recommending it because I feel like you don't ever get emotional with movies you don't like, even if they have emotional beats. But I didn't like this movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's huge ups because oh. you obviously, I would assume you liked the movie. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Well, it's like one of those things. I, I didn't like, expect to cry though, but I did. It's. <laughs> Yeah, the movie, like, I don't know. It's, I feel like Jimmy Stewart's performance is just beyond, oh. beyond what was happening at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like a lot of movies in the golden age were made strictly for the purpose of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. Is, I love those movies. Like, yeah. I'm a huge golden age fan. Just movies that are made to just make you feel happy and fun. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like Frank Capra as a director, he was one of those first directors that started really bridging that gap of telling a heavy story with entertainment. Yeah. And, mm. And uh, the lead actor's name is Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Didn't the director like specifically want him? Yeah. That was like oh, the whole they, thing. Yeah. There was a couple other people that were lined up to do it, but he was he picked him specifically. Yeah. Well, back in the '30s, there was a few movies that Frank Capra did. Um, one of them was "You Can't Take It With You," which is an okay movie, but it starred Jimmy Stewart, and it was it did pretty well. That's kind of what kickstarted Jimmy Stewart's career. Yeah. And then it was the following year in 1939, as Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I don't know if you've seen that mm-hmm. or heard of it. I haven't. I think maybe you've told me about um, it. Jimmy Stewart played the lead in that, and that's like what really put him on the map. People were like, "This is one of the greatest actors ever." And then he went to war. Went to war. He, he went to war. Did. Yeah, so he went to war for. And you correct me if I'm wrong, right? But it, he went to war for like five years Dang. or something. Yeah, it was nineteen. 
forty is when the U.S. started talking about involving themselves in World War Two, and mm-hmm. and then in nineteen forty one when they officially were like, okay, we're gonna start fighting in the war. And Jimmy Stewart was the first notable actor to sign up. He was like one of the first few hundred U.S. Yeah, citizens to sign Damn. up to like join the war. Super Jeez. super cool. But the I think even the even cooler part to me, the little nugget of knowledge I learned about this movie was that this was his first movie back. Yeah, right? post-war. Post-war. In the, Post, are you post-war. familiar with much of his war, like what he did in the war? Mm-hmm. So he wanted to be a fighter pilot. And oh. He was 33 years old, and he's six foot four with no muscles. So <laughs> like like me, except not six foot four. They're looking at him, and they're like, we don't know if you should be in combat. And especially like being part of the studio system, the studio wanted to protect him. Because they're mm-hmm. just thinking, he's like a bankable star. Right. You know, he just came off like Philadelphia story and shop around the corner, which are two like hit movies. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I want to be a fighter pilot. And he grew up in like small town, Pennsylvania where all of his ancestors fought in the war. Mm-hmm. It was just part of being a man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have to do this. Right. So eventually they kind of caved and they let him like train to be a fighter pilot. And he became like one of the head generals of his like team. And oh, really? he led over 20 airborne missions in world war two. Dang. Yeah, I didn't even bad. know that. I knew that he served obviously. And I, that this was his first movie back, but I didn't know that. Was, that's pretty crazy. It was pretty heavy. And he was yeah. responsible for a lot of soldiers. So yeah. a lot of people died underneath him that he was responsible for, which was like a huge thing for him. And then he almost died. His plane got hit and he was able to land it and survive. And then he's like, I should probably stop flying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone agreed. That's, the yeah. The war ended, and it was 1945 when the war ended, and so he came back to Hollywood, and he kicked around for like a year. He wasn't sure, like, if he was going to act anymore. He was thinking, maybe I'll just go run a hardware store back in Pennsylvania. He was Whoa. thinking about just hanging it up. Yeah. But then Frank Capra came to him with the script for It's a Wonderful Life, and... Yeah, that's... That's crazy. The rest is history on that one, yeah. Yeah, that is crazy, and I... I yeah, I heard that he was really nervous, specifically around like the kissing scene too. Apparently, like the one of the most famous scenes in now the entire movie, mm. um, and you, I like, I could only see why, right? Like coming <laughs> coming after war, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and he was he was uh, he was like one of the only like actors of that era that just married one woman and never. Oh, oh really? You know what I mean? He yeah. Was married once and never divorced. Really, her. like just stick to he was the a, kind he was of a small town like American dude. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So, that yeah, that's super cool. I didn't, I didn't, I obviously didn't know all of that, but it is. I do think that it's anybody else, and I'm not as familiar with actors from that time as as you are. I would assume, but I, it really feels like anybody else in that role would just not have nailed it in the same way that he did. Yeah, it really does feel like that. And I think the other thing that stuck with me watching this movie is how much of it is like I all even though I'd never seen it, how much of it I already knew. Just from other movies, this yeah. pop culture. Yeah, because it, there's so right. much in it. Him running through the streets. Obviously, the part where he talks about like lassoing the moon, and yeah. there's so many parts in it that are just in so many different, like yeah, pop pop culture references. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is because this was public access for like what 50 years or something. Yeah, because it got shelved in 1947, and the only way you could see a movie like before television was you had to go to the theater. So a movie would be shown, and then it would leave the theater. And like, well, that was cool. That's so crazy I'll to think about. Right? <laughs> I guess I'll see that someday again. Yeah, oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. not. And it was in the 1970s, um, a TV channel, like, bought, or, like, acquired the rights to it. They started showing it on television around Christmas time. People went nuts for it. And that's, like, revived Jimmy Stewart and, like, really late in his career and, like, life. He was, yeah. like, an old man. And then all of a sudden, all these young college kids are like, it's a wonderful life. 
could be the best movie ever. And he's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the same thing with like Vertigo and Zoom. Yeah. No, those movies were shelved too for like a lot of years. Yeah. And there uh, was a resurfacing of them that kind of revitalized him. And yeah. I think that's. I think deal. that could be said about a lot of movies. I know that like Night of the Living Dead did huge, like huge favors for it. Was it being on public access too? It's mm-hmm. like in every horror movie ever, you always see Night of the Living Dead in black and white on the on the TVs black because and white it's zombies. yeah because it's yeah because it's it's public access, and it's it's one of those weird things where you would it's almost like reverse what you would think of in the sense of like you wouldn't think that that would be good for the movie necessarily, mm-hmm. but. It being public access where anybody can watch it, it just spread by word of mouth and right. everyone could, could check it out. I definitely think that this hearing about this movie not instantly hitting off is bizarre to me because like you watch it and to mm-hmm. me it seems like such a no brainer. But I don't know. I don't know what would have been going on at that time. I feel like. Well, with the post war, and I'm curious if like there were other movies during that time, and just like the overall, I would say mentality of just like the American community at that time, maybe it was just not the right time and place for that type of movie. Yeah, right? well, it's like one of those things, like, why does any movie, why is any movie a hit? In yeah, some right art? time, right, right place, maybe. Yeah. Like, you're probably familiar with, like, Casablanca, yeah. right? It's like mm. a seminal classic. It was not a hit when it came out. Yeah. Like, it kind of disappeared for, like, a decade, and then it, like, was resurfaced on college campuses and became a hit. Well, and I think, I think the inverse is... That is so crazy to, like put all this time and make a movie and it just do terrible and then years mm. later it just like blows most up. Movies, yeah. No, I know, but it's just so wild. And there's yeah. a handful that we see that yeah. you know, make it to that point. And I think that the inverse is also true and that sometimes a movie that's maybe not as good as it's praised to be just comes out at the right time at the right moment. I think that Avatar is kind of that way. Like Avatar came out and it was this huge CGI. They did all these new technologies and CGI. and it, I mean, it is breathtaking, but... It came out at like the perfect time when that was like something that was new and looked for. That mm-hmm. same exact movie of Av- I, the first Avatar, I think if that was to come out now oh. with all the movies that we have, it would. I, I'm not saying I'm not denying it wouldn't do good, but I don't know that it would be it the same good, yeah. hit that right. it is now, just because like time and place has a lot to do with with how movie fares, you know. Yeah. It, the so it, its initial hit was right before Christmas. So the wide release of It's a Wonderful Life did happen after Christmas. Oh, they, weird. It was like, because movies, like, the releases were so strange back then. But yeah. It initially did hit theaters on Christmas Eve, I believe, but not all theaters. It was pretty limited. So mm. I think people, the the mass, like, consumer population didn't get it until after Christmas. So it's I don't like, think I would want to go to a theater and watch a Christmas movie after Christmas. Right. And that'd be kind of strange. Like, yeah. Imagine, well, imagine that's probably Home Alone had... came out in February. You know yeah, yeah no, for I sure. Weird. Yeah. Well, and it's I. It's, Violent night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. I July it's, release. <laughs> I think I think what I find like one of the things I find most funny though is that like although this is a Christmas movie, only really the end of it is in Christmas. Right, it's not like I wouldn't say the rest of it is a Christmas so, movie right, necessarily. Right. I agree with that. Yeah, that's one of the things I've noticed too. So what's what I found strange is like that's how I've always thought of it. But we watched it the other night, and I was like looking at the timing, and it's. Christmas Eve happens around the halfway point. Really? It's around the halfway point when you realize it's Christmas Eve, and then his uncle loses the money. Like so, Christmas Eve yeah. is pretty much. Is that halfway? It's, like, it's about a little over halfway. Because a good it, chunk of the movie is just basically set up of like this man's life and what everything's built up to be, and then Clarence is being shown. Um, so Clarence is like the guardian angel, and he's being shown 
George's entire life. And by the halfway yeah. point, it's like, okay, now we've caught you up about George's life. Here's mm-hmm. what the situation is, and this is why we need you. And it's super interesting thinking, like, if a movie came out today and your premise was, this is the premise of the movie. We're going to basically show what a guy's life is like if he doesn't exist to make him realize how good it is. They would say, that has to be the entire movie. Whereas Frank yeah. Capra was like, no, that's just going to be the end. Yeah. yeah. Like, the whole movie, what's important is you getting to know George Bailey. Yeah. That's, right. that's the story. And that and works so and I think effectively. That, like, the payoff yeah. so much. It really does. Yeah. This this movie would not, yeah, it wouldn't float without that. You need yeah. to, you really do need to buy into George as a character and buy into his life to understand, then, like, like you said, the payoff of, mm-hmm. of him, why it's important for him to survive, all the things that he's done that impacted other people. Yeah. It yeah, I mean I agree. It's I think nowadays you would just get immediately to the the meat and potatoes of it, which is like not really the meat and potatoes of it. And funny enough, I feel like as a result of like because this is a, is a golden age type of film, a lot of films in like contemporary times, like say anything from like say post eighties, maybe post nineties, has tried to copy the same formula and has focused on purely the oh, if you weren't here, this is what would happen but it wasn't as impactful mm-hmm. and that's one of the things i appreciate about this film is because it spent so much time in the setup of like this is this man's life this is how he's interacting with people this is what he's choosing to do for the greater good versus for his own self-interest because of that it just creates this sweet foundation of oh this guy's an awesome dude but he's just going through a really difficult situation. Well, it makes it easy to root for him, too. Yeah. It, like, oh, it, sure. it makes it easy to root for him and root for his wife, too. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, even, though, even though Mary, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though Mary isn't in it nearly as much as he is, it's like you instantly understand yes. her character and you instantly understand her role in his life and her role in the community and all those oh, different yeah, things. Oh, yeah, you root for them like, uh, like automatically. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. You say like that his self-interest versus the interest of the greater good. I think the whole thing is, like, he realizes the interest of the greater good is his interest. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Like, that's right. what's truly important. Yeah. Because yeah. what does Clarence write in the book? Or It's like, yeah, it's like it's, no man's a failure who has friends. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah. like, the whole thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Community and friends, and then they're all singing the Christmas carol together. Right. It's, yeah. Dude, and all... It hits you. It's yeah, like, it does. Wow, what a... I will, movie. I will say, it does hit on a pretty fascinating point, and I think a good chunk of like films definitely explores this concept, the idea of wanting to escape the environment that you were raised in, just for the sake of adventure, for you to like spread your wings. This and is so funny, after cool. we were just having a conversation <laughs> prior to recording about, Riley was saying that everybody needs to move out of Anchorage, Alaska, which is where we're at. Yeah. So. Oh, it's a beautiful place the way you all grew up here, but... I'm telling you, man. Yeah, exactly. So it's true. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But it happens to so many people. Like, you have this idea of, like, how your life is going to turn out, and then something happens, and it just doesn't for whatever reason. And you do feel like, I mean, there's times where I'm like, oh, my God, I still live in Anchorage, Alaska. Like, what am I doing with my life? Right. And there's, like, points where you feel like you failed, but there's, I mean, there's a reason for everything. Right. And they, I thought I wrote the quote down, but it's like, God, I can't even remember what he says at the end. But basically, like, you don't realize, like, how many lives you touch. Mm-hmm. He says something Until, along those like, lines. Until, you're taken out of it entirely. Until you're yeah. taken out of yeah. it. And it's, like, it is so true. And they do a great job at portraying that at the end of the movie. Yeah, well, and, and that's that's really, <clears throat> that's really, the like, there's major beats of the movie are right when he's about to leave. Like, mm-hmm. he's always squared up to leave. Something that, happens that, that pulls him that actually reminds me, this one point, uh, that's actually one of the major critical points between George's and Mary's relationship. So this is that one point where 
Harry, he finds out that Harry is married and, you know, he's doing fantastic and he's like, oh shit, what am I doing? And he finds out that Mary's just come back into town and he takes this opportunity to actually go meet up with her. And they get a phone call from Sam, the old, like, childhood friend. And this is where he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing fantastic, I'm about to set up a new factory and all that stuff. And this is where George uh, recommends, hey, just bring the factory down to the town. And he's like, oh, that's fantastic, dude, you come up with the best ideas. And as this discussion's happening, George is like, like right next to Mary, and this is when he's realizing, like, oh yeah, she's one, and it's like this beautiful, like, like whole scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a point he where he's like, I can't leave this town because something keeps pulling me back. Mm-hmm. And then he's like telling this to Mary, and he's like, I, I want to leave. I just want to have a life. But, but, and then he realizes that you know one of the key critical anchors is that Mary's there, and mm-hmm. he's like, I can't give this up. This is yeah. insane. Yeah. So and then, then they get married. They yeah, have that kiss, and he's like, "But I'm never having kids, and I'm never." Gonna <laughs> yeah, never. Kids. And then next scene, I was scene. so right. confused right. by that. Yep. I'm like, "Wait, what?" But, yeah. but the way I interpreted it was that he recognizes that he has the pull to escape so desperately because yeah. he wants to live that life. But with Mary in front of him, it's like, why would he give that up? Like, give. And it's it said. I think it said. I think yeah. it said literally to him from his mom too. Like, oh yeah. This this woman is here for you. Like this is this is yeah. your woman type of thing. And he's yeah. like, ah, whatever. Right. He's like, dude, what you doing? Like, just yeah. find buddy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think another interesting moment too is that mm. is when something something that doesn't happen in movies as much anymore, but happened a lot in older movies, is yeah. the villain exp- who is um, what's his name? Potter. 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 Yeah. The mm-hmm. villain explaining. It's a great by the way. Oh yes. yes. Lionel, Lionel Barrymore. Such oh. great performances in general. One of like Drew Barrymore's distant relatives. Really? Oh, really? I was wondering if that's yeah. what it was. Oh, yeah. yeah, she comes from a long line of elite actors all the way back to the 7 era. That's oh, I, did, I had no oh. idea. She has a talk show. I, yeah. And the opposite of what She's a... okay. Yeah, she's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, but something that I, I, I like in this movie and happens a lot in older movies, but I feel like you don't see as much, is the villain kind of explaining to the like the protagonist what they want and for them to realize that that's like not what they want essentially right. and that happens in this like there's the, obviously the iconic scene where he goes to like shake shake on it right. and immediately he's, he's everything. yeah he's offered everything he could ever want and basically. then he like recoils he's like what am I doing wait a second fuck this yeah, <laughs> except was, obviously not it's pretty cool because in that scene it was like an example of like the person that knows you best is like your enemy type of deal or it's like, it's like it's there's, the I think there's like, I think there's a like I, I think there's in my interpretation, like a bit of that, but there's also like he it's it's a smaller moment of the end payoff in that like right. he realizes in that moment that he's what he's doing right now is what he wants and is good for the community. Like right. if he if he accepts this deal with the devil type of thing, then he is he's becoming what he's trying not to be right now. Well, that's that's constantly one of the main conflicts he keeps dealing with internally throughout the course of the film is that he constantly has the struggle between what he strives to do, which is very ambitious and would be great for his life versus what his ideals that he was raised with and what he actually believes in internally is, you know, what he's trying to protect. And every moment, and there are even occasions, like especially in the very beginning of the film where, you know, his father passes away and Potter's trying to like take over the business and, even his uh, cohorts at the office, like, no, go to the train. You're trying to live your life. And mm-hmm. um, he's approached by, you know, the board member. And he's like, oh, hey, you know, we're about to keep business, but you have to stay. And he's like, oh, it's like, that was one of the first major instances of like, I, it just happens over and over. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's getting roped like back the, in. I think a great scene is like the honeymoon when they're about to go on their honeymoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he has to give all of their cash. 
trash just to the community. To, like, and I think it actually, I think Mary is the one that originally yes. comes in, and that's like, another great moment where you're like, ah, oh, their relationship is just so great. Yes, like, that was one of those moments where I'm like, this is She is his, awesome. she is his person. Dude, everyone, yeah, everyone yeah. needs a wife like Mary. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> for real. They're like the ultimate team, I love them. No matter how, like, mean he was getting or mad, she was so good to him. Yeah, like, yeah, even though he's like, a complete unre- dickhead at the end of the unrealistically movie. Unrealistically right. so, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I will say, like, being mean to the kids. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like yelling at them and and he starts trashing the house and throwing the whole like shit real quick i can understand in many cases like at least what they were trying to portray from the filmmaking standpoint because this dude has gone through from my understanding from like say the high school years he's just turned 18 and at this point he's like time stamped as being like 27 28 so this is a decade of him dealing with this and now he's reached this point where all this sacrifice and he's about to lose the business he could potentially go to jail and he actually was threatened to go to jail, and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm about to lose everything. Yeah. And I've sacrificed my entire future, and it still wasn't enough. Fuck! And that's basically what's being portrayed in that mm-hmm. instance. He's and like, I don't know what else to do. Suffer in silence. Yeah, basically. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's basically what he's, that's basically what he's doing. Dead yeah. than alive. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's yeah. Well, and I think that that's another. I think that that's another great point. Is that as it's never explicitly said until the end that his life, like that's what he's doing. Right. But there's a moment where somebody else mentions that. Oh, your life insurance is it's fifteen thousand dollars, and the right. dead, the date, yeah, yeah. yeah. you're worth yeah. more dead than alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it and it's yeah, it's said from the the villain or the antagonist of the, of the movie. And it's cool because it's not cool. Yeah, maybe it's cool. <laughs> but just from a writing perspective, like Potter has this weird pull over him oh, yeah. like, the whole yeah. movie. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Almost like he is so like convincing to Jimmy Stewart's character mm-hmm. that when he says that, like yeah. Jimmy Stewart like really you, you, well and you and, like, and I think I think it's another yeah. I think it's, like it's when a, he almost shook his hand. Like yeah. maybe you're right. Right. Yeah. And then he pulls back. Yeah. And well and I think it's really cool. Something that Jimmy Stewart does really well in this movie, and I feel like it's even in movies nowadays, you don't see as much as really subtle acting. Like mm. a lot of the time, I feel like actors try to be as loud, both like visually and. Jimmy does uh, a and lot of that in this. Which he does for yeah. he does for sure, but there's also a lot of quiet moments. Like there's a lot of moments where just like the slightest facial expression explains everything that you need to know. Mm-hmm. In right. like in that conversation yeah. you just talked about, where it's Potter that tells him, "Oh, you're worth more dead dead than alive." It's not like there's this big moment where you know it crash pan zooms into him or something he just he just like yeah. body language it's body language yeah. it's his facial expression the changes just subtly yeah right. like it, the way that it's positioned in terms of the camera and the way that you're watching the scene it's almost as if like you're sitting there watching this exchange and like you're like oh shit which i do yeah. like that because i mean we've talked about it before that one of the things that i have against older movies is just like how dramatic and how expressive like mm. they are with everything they do and this movie, I feel like, was a little more subtle. Isn't there something charming, though, about those no. performances? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I hate it. Like, anything just lovely no, it. not at all. <laughs> See, it I, just drives just, me nuts. I love it. Oh, God. Like, old transatlantic accents where they're just yelling at each other, oh, talking over each other. It. The, so, the dialogue's clearly not real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a sucker for it. Oh, God, we are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love that this movie but is something, not that. Something that you probably will appreciate, though, is that um, we were just talking about Citizen Kane and that a lot of the movies from this era, ha- era have, like, the very brassy in mm. like transitional scores. Oh this movie does not I have know. that. I didn't notice that. Did you notice I'm that? A, I'm a big. I love scores. Yeah. I love big scores. Oh, I love scores too. 
I think the conversation that Older Shannon and I were having have the same exact sound. is oh, that she she feels like they all sound exactly the same as far as the score goes. Maybe you need to watch more. Maybe it's time to dive deeper. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting we're getting into it now. I guess. A great pre-war Jimmy Stewart performance is Philadelphia Story. It's mm. him, Catherine Hepburn, and Cary Grant. Ooh, I think I have heard of that movie. Yeah. Three yeah. Of the biggest, I haven't seen it. Three but... of the biggest, but it's, you would hate it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, no. it's literally just like a love quad. Well, a square. Love square. Yeah. I keep hitting the microphone. Don't hit the microphone. Now it's yeah. It's a, it's a love square, and it's full of that old way of talking. And oh god, let's not watch that. So I can't just start like adopting that accent and just. But they, no. you know why they talk like that? It's because in the early days of movies, all of those actors came from the stage. And it was thought that the enunciation of words like that could project to the back of the theaters when they were performing on stage. Oh, I'll tell you. That makes sense. Yeah. But I hate it. <laughs> like, I love the way Cary Grant talks in movies. It's just so fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. It's. It's. There's just a, like an overall feeling to movies from this era that I just you just don't really get, and it's yeah. it's not necessarily like the setting. It's not necessarily just the accent. It's just like an overall like vibe to yeah. it, and and that's why I, it is. I, I do feel like it's special. Like mm-hmm. you can watch movies in the '40s, and just you you pick that up no matter really what it is. Yeah. But obviously, this one is special in its own way. So. That's what I was kind of saying about Frank Capra. Is he was one of those early directors that started bridging that gap of like the golden age. It looks like a stage play movie, and like the modern storytelling that mm-hmm. yeah. we know and really like. And then that started happening more so in the 50s, and then obviously by the 70s. Like yeah. The new wave of massacres and blood and guts. And <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it it all is. starts with one person, and I think that person really was Frank Capra. Yeah. yeah. It is really interesting to watch, see those trends, like the big movie that kind of spikes. I mean, we just mentioned it, like Citizen Kane did that for, for modern storytelling, too. Yeah, really um, editing. And yeah. Yeah, and so it's really interesting to see what those big movies are. I mean, in a lot of ways, Avatar kind of did that in a way, too. James Cameron is, like, the master of, like, pushing the envelope. Yeah. And, like, as much as, like, people crap on big CGI fests, and like, James Cameron, like... He's done a lot for the movie. He's done a lot for movies yeah. and the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. everything he does is kind of cool. Yeah, like, I, 100%. I don't love all his movies, they're just, I just love him. Yeah, they're I just big. They're like big movies, and they're made for everyone. Yeah, right. there's which is like a lot of a lot of more uh, like niche movies. I feel like are made for really specific groups of people. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Prior to this podcast, we were just t- or starting the podcast. We were talking about horror movies, and there's a lot of horror movies that are just like that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, well, that actually brings the question: If you does it, does that one of like the inherent trade off of where if you try to make a film that's for everyone, then you may not be able to have the level of I would say intent well i would say sophistication or refinement or quality that you're looking for but if you do it for like a niche or genre because you have that refinement of the rule set that exists within said genre then you have the means of being able to be creative or experimental and that gives you the opportunity so that you can create something that is much more deeper yeah i think it comes down to like the overall goal of like what the movie is trying to accomplish like obviously yeah. movies i say is like 60 percent business 40 percent art mm-hmm. they want it's yeah. true so yeah. Like it, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a huge business mm-hmm. and it's funny because like i was in this class in film school it was hilarious it was like a producing class Ooh. and the teacher was like he's like how many of you identify as a capitalist and like nobody raises their hands and then he's like how many of you identify as a socialist and like half the class is like i do and he's like welcome to the most capitalist 
films industry in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> that's how he pitched us yeah. day one of film school. Yeah, yeah. and it was just yeah. it was that's hilarious. But movies they have to make their money back, and we kind of talked about this before the podcast. Like our favorite movies versus the best movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would say to be the best, I feel like there's a certain criteria. Like I feel like it has to advance the art in a very specific way. And connect with almost everyone. Yeah. How many movies do that? You, Not many. Yeah. You. you very, we, like and we've talked about it before. Yeah. Like it is, it's very rare to have a movie connect with everybody. You have to be able to take something away from it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. It's that, a wonderful life is one of the few that everyone likes. Yeah. Everyone yes. that watches it kind of likes it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Even even if it's you, funny because at, like people walking into work today and when they saw me watching it were like, oh, what are you watching? And they're like, I was like, it's a wonderful life, and they're like. It's a very slow movie, but it's a great movie. Everyone like, likes it. Even if it's like not really your kind of movie, you still enjoy it at the end of the and day. And Frank Capra advanced the craft of storytelling on the screen at oh, the yeah. same time. So, in my opinion, that makes it a candidate for like one of the top movies ever. Oh, I agree. And ever, yeah. Period. And isn't it? Didn't Most it? people consider it? Like, yeah. A oh, lot of yeah. people are like it's got to be one of the best Christmas movies. And then there's like a lot of people are like it's one of the best movies. Yeah, I would absolutely general. agree. After watching this film, I was like. Holy fucking shit! This is one of the best movies I've seen in my life. What the fuck? So yeah, so we had this. We actually had this conversation. We had this, and this is going to be great because this podcast will come out after this other one. We had this conversation in Violent Night where mm-hmm. we were talking about basically does is is Violent Night a good movie or is it just a good Christmas movie? Mm. And we had this conversation in depth, but I would go as, that's a totally different part, but I would go as far as saying one, It's a Wonderful Life isn't just a good like good Christmas movie. It's just a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely agree. I agree with that. So as far as like the, the movie goes, do you find it controversial in any way? I'm trying to segue into a, a yeah. really crazy weird thing behind, like after the movie came out. So, um, no. you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I watch... I watch movies now, especially for like this podcast, or like if I'm trying to really dive deep into it, and I watch it, and I try to watch it in as many different shoes as I can. Like who who would watch who would who would love this movie who would hate this movie? I don't think it would ever be controversial, but I could totally see how if you wanted to find something to be controversial in it, there exist things in this mm-hmm. movie that could totally yeah. be controversial, specifically. The people that are in the service industry that are around them. Yeah, um, like that's, but that's the thing when you consider the context of when the film was made, and totally. that just makes sense. Like, I mean, that's where it's like it makes hundred hundred percent. And right. I'm not I'm not saying that I have any issue with that. It makes perfect sense. Right. It's not like they're out here doing anything Purposely. blatantly hurtful. It's one but of those things where if someone really wanted to find something about the film, they could try to, but then there are things in the film that you could like counter to, it. As today, well. there, is well. a, there is a scene where Mary's robe falls off and oh, yeah. she's in the bush and she's like really trying to get him to give it back and right. she, he just doesn't. He, and she's like, it sounds like actually kind of getting upset. She's like, I'll call the cops, so, I'll scream. And I was like, oh, that's there's, kind of there's, bad. Because <laughs> so if anyone actually it's, it's did funny, that, you would not It's funny because I, I like picked up on that same thing. And again, yeah. it did not turn me off to the movie. It didn't right, bother right. me at all. But again, when I watch a movie and I'm kind of trying to look at it through the lens of yeah. anybody, there's I could see how somebody could pull right. straws to get to like maybe some underlying racism in the background right. mm-hmm. and definitely some underlying sexism or misogyny right, maybe yeah. a little bit. But that's the thing. The fact that you have to stretch for that, like when you th- consider the context of the film itself and also when I When, when I like, YouTubed this movie yeah. today, 
I just out of curiosity, I watched it and I wanted yeah. to learn more about it. Oh, so cool. I YouTube this movie, and all I did was I YouTubed "It's a Wonderful Life." I think the third video was like why "It's a Wonderful Life" is the worst movie ever, uh, and I didn't you click. Gotta love people. Yeah, right? and I didn't click Part on it because it's like it. One, I don't share that opinion, so I don't really care. I know, it'd be like but, a video about like they had a maid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> well, it's totally. There, it's like there, there it, is it would be. It would be. T- I guarantee you, it'd be touching on the subjects right. that I just. Well, there is up. a discussion about. Is yeah, it exactly. An- Annie, Anna, she's oh, yeah. the black woman in the movie, yeah. and there was some topics about that, like how she's only in like two minutes out of one hundred and thirty-one minutes of the movie, but it's, and like. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that she is doing for them in the background, and but the thing so that, is, I mean, people do talk about that in it. Yeah, it's like it's it's tough because like the thing is 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 yeah, that was the housemaid, right? That yeah. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, her profession is the housemaid, but it's in in the movie she's not treated disrespectfully at all. She, she's I was, a part of the family at that point. Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy Stewart's relationship with her is cute. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Like it's, it's nice, like, just on the screen, it's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's, and I, I think the key for me is, the like I said, the, the people that would perhaps be getting, air quotes, discriminated against in these moments are never the butt of some joke or anything, and it's never the focus of the movie. It's never, I don't yeah. think it ever pauses to be like... Like, Frank Capra wasn't like, how do I take a jab at... Blackmates. Yeah, exactly. Right. It was like he was doing he's, yeah, he was never. I yeah, I never got the vibe. You know who I hate? Women. Like it's like not like I never got that vibe watching it. But I like again when I watch a movie, I I try to view it through that lens, and I was like, you know, I could see if someone wants to pick an issue with this movie, right? How how but they you could, could do that with every movie. What if, yeah, exactly. What if I told you you didn't you didn't hit it off at all. But oh, there's shit. something about this movie that caused such a problem it went all the way to Congress. Whoa, 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 what? what? I don't know this, actually. Okay. So in the early 1950s, there was a committee formed in Hollywood to remove communism from the film industry. And Frank Capra was one of the directors they plucked and said, your films are communist propaganda, especially It's a Wonderful Life, for promoting cheap mortgages. Ooh. Oh shit! You know what? Wow. Yeah, this movie's communist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no just but it's, it's funny. Podcast out. He had to. He had to testify to Congress about how he's not a communist. It, yeah. It's funny. That is wild. It's funny because this movie definitely has like an underlying tone of anti-capitalism in a certain mm-hmm. way. Like yeah. it, Potter is a capitalist. Like he's like, hey, you got to make money. You you care too much. Mm-hmm. Basically, like I, mm-hmm. I'm here to get money. And whereas. Everybody else is not of that same belief that you meet on screen, so that is kind of funny. That is crazy. Uh, well, yeah, it, was, the it was intense in Hollywood. Like, yeah, when the, like the political formations were like, happening, and they they kicked Charlie Chaplin out of the U.S. Like, yeah, the biggest silent star yeah. in American history. They were like, "You're too communist." And yeah. they sent him back to hey, Europe. Hey, buddy. Oh my God. The Cold War was definitely like a huge like Im- had it made had a huge impact on Hollywood, and like some of the I would say. The history just behind that it was just fascinating. I remember like there was a class I took like a long time ago talking about film history, and that was like one of the fascinating tidbits. I'm like, I didn't know this was a thing. It's cool. Dude, the yeah. Cold War era films are pretty cool. What's oh, crazy yeah. is how fast it went from World War II films mm. to Cold War films. Yeah, and I think that's <laughs> another thing I read about It's a Wonderful Life is it was a World War II ish film, but then the Cold War happened like right after. Yeah. yeah. So people are more interested in the Cold War now than World War Two. And yeah. we always have to use the wars to make entertainment. So. Yeah, it's yeah. how it goes. It's, like, yeah. The 1950s was full of sci-fi movies. You ever watch any of those? Like the, like like sci- the old sci-fi movies? Like monster movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the yep. blob. And yep. Those are, like, every one of those the fly. movies is, is like, 
oh, this crazy month, probably the Russians. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know. Yeah, exactly. Have you checked with the Russians yet? Like, because if you, if you, there's a great one, the, the Day of the Earth Stood Still. Yep. From 1951. Seems, oh. Yep. It's like one of the best sci-fi movies ever. And they remade it. Yeah. It's yeah. Terribly. I know. It's really Wait, Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah, or, that's the one with Keanu yeah, Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Adrian Brody. It's Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it was Keanu Reeves. It's a Keanu Reeves, it's yeah. It's a miserable movie. Yeah. I, I have a, you know, we've really hit like the impactful questions here, yeah. but I have like the ultimate impactful question for Riley. Uh, and I'm going to take a dramatic pause. Right I, yeah. I did pay for film school. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was Sesame Street's Burton Ernie inspired by this movie? Oh my God, yeah. I yeah, picked yeah, up yeah. on that too. Let us know. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, yeah. this has been cinema. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that is, that's a fact? It is Burton Ernie from yeah, this movie. Is, a, okay, because I mean, the Sesame Street's like the what, '60s. That's what legend has. Yeah, at least. yeah. And yeah. then you've got police officer. It catches you immediately. When yeah, you're like, Burton Ernie. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh shit! What? It was funny because I was watching this. I was like, oh shit! And I grabbed my phone. I took a note. Burton Ernie. That's like all the notes says. I just like Burton Ernie. Yeah. And it's it's funny that it's funny that Sesame Street made those characters iconic. But that came out in the '60s, and this yeah. was in the '40s. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that that that's someone that's Sesame so Street was like, "Gosh, it's a Wonderful Life rocks." Yeah, and yeah. you know who slept on in It's a Wonderful Life? Bert and Ernie. Those two, <laughs> they're gonna be roommates. The other part that I picked up on, which I felt was just like a really cool moment, mm-hmm. unrelated to Bert and Ernie, but maybe like a little bit before that scene, was when you first meet Clarence, mm-hmm. right? When he mm-hmm. falls in the water and they're drying off. Super cool little touch that I instantly saw that I thought was cool was the fact that his shirt is draped behind him in the background to look almost exactly like wings. Oh. Very cool. Next time you watch it, he's got a white shirt, and it's draped on a clothesline behind him, but it's spread to look like wings coming out of his back. That's very cool. His wings? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he's because he's the guardian angel. That's super cool. That's pretty cool. There's I will say this movie does a lot of things that are very like intentional. All of their headshots are in the background in the in the in their house. Like all of their professional actor headshots looks really? like. See, yeah. you always pick up on these things in movies, and it's just so wild to me. I just it's, am very. I mean, observant. it's very cool. Yeah, and I think like when it comes down to watching movies as like a nerd, like Oliver. Yeah. Movies, yeah. Like you, you look the nerd. for just me at this yeah. table. And I think like a truly great movie has those things, but mm-hmm. you don't need to catch them for the movie to still be great. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. It's just like an Easter I mean, egg. It's like, it, hey, right. it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it kind of like. I think it's it's one of those yeah Easter eggs is kind of a good way to put it because it's it's in the best ones are in the movie for keen eye viewers to catch mm-hmm. but don't pause and take a moment to like show you how clever the director is right. Right. and I think that that's something that is a lot of time people mistake for being really cool like mm-hmm. kind of ham fisted moments like that to me the coolest things that I think are those moments in the background that you notice or like if you're paying really close attention you could pick up on and right. yeah like the wings and stuff and the headshots it wasn't blatant cuz like like you said I think a few people at this table maybe didn't even notice it mm-hmm. yeah. but I saw it and it doesn't it's not there for any other reason than somebody that was designing the set that day was like oh this would be cool and they put it there and they yeah. framed him that way yeah right. a lot of times with stuff like that too like directors are like especially one of like Frank Capra's caliber they're super intentional like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, though, like, it comes down to like every frame has purpose, mm-hmm. and I don't know if Frank Capra's that meticulous, but you especially see that in, like Alfred Hitchcock movies, mm-hmm. where like every frame and shot and everything in that shot he storyboards like by hand before he makes the movie. Yeah, so, well, like, and every, everything you see on screen is, is preconceived, pre-planned, and pre-thought. Right. Here's, here's something that's very just, impressive. Right, and that actually just made me realize something. So one of the comments that was mentioned earlier during this discussion was that this movie feels slow. And 
I actually really appreciate. I'm not agreeing with that. That's just what other people. Well, said. No, 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 <laughs> I saw Riley look at me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know who said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. But um, that was actually one of the things that I recognized was what was making this movie stand out quite a bit in terms of like a design or storytelling standpoint. But I appreciated the heck out of that because it allowed space for the characters to basically breathe, and you could really invest into the characters. And I don't really think a lot of movies do that unless it's a but indie film or it's something that's a bit more on the niche side versus like this like i could actually sit down and actually appreciate the time it's dedicated to them to me it's interesting that you you point that out because i almost feel like this movie isn't really slow at all i feel yeah. like it's like almost like knife's edge efficient at giving you just what right, you need right. to like you don't meet any of the kids but you instantly fall in love with all of them and understand who right. each of them are you don't really spend any significant time with mary but the time you do spend with her is enough to build both his character mm-hmm. and her character yeah it's not you don't really have these moments where it's just slow yeah for the most part you just kind of get to figure out who each person is in a really efficient time oh yeah i mean this isn't a three and a half hour long movie it's like what two hours an hour 59 mm-hmm. or something two hours like and that 10 minutes. and almost every, two hours 10 minutes and every but, scene i'm like focused in because I'm fascinated to see what happens to these characters, what's happening next to the story because it is so well crafted in that regard. So I'm like I- enjoying my experience as I'm watching it. And what I think is so good is there's a lot of characters in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Supporting characters. And at the end when you get the holiday party scene, they all show up and you know all of them really well. Yeah. Right. Even the guy that wanted $232 yes! or whatever. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. Like every character is planted so well so the payoff is just that much more emotional. Yeah. yeah. You realize like all these people in this room singing to him and with him like he changed all of their lives. Yeah. 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 This movie. Yeah. It is a super cool a scene. again. Right. In the song they picked. Talk about like the most emotional Christmas song. Yeah. I don't know whose idea that was, but good gracious. Yeah. They nailed it on that one. Yeah. And that's the thing about this film that makes it quite impactful is the emotional just overall oh, just the feels. So much feels. Like at every point in the movie, whether it was like relationship between George and Mary, whether it was the struggle that George was having with trying to leave town, the tension between Potter and George, um, just the struggle of trying to help the community despite the constant sacrifices that had to be made, mm-hmm. and also the recognition of what life would have been like if he wasn't there, and just seeing like how much of a miserable experience everyone would have. Just all of those elements being put together, and it's an emotionally impactful film. Like, oh my god. Like, there yeah. are moments I had, like, legit possibility. I'm like, oh, I'm catching feels. Oh, but but I, <laughs> I, think, I think another part, as we're singing praises for it, I think another part that's cool about that, what you're saying, the emotional beats, is that they feel earned yes, through the movie. Right. They're genuine. I yeah. think that, like, something that drives me absolutely nuts in movies is when people use clever editing to force, like, almost force emotion out of people. Mm-hmm. When it's not really earned, like, I don't care about the character, mm-hmm. but you've, right. like, increased the sound. You've increased... Like, the score is harmonic or something. You're doing flashy editing or slow editing to, like, kind of force canned uh, emotion out of me. This movie doesn't do that. Yeah, there is, obviously, editing and, like, clever editing and good sound design. But this movie, you feel it because you know the characters. You've spent the time with them. And it's it's it pays off tenfold at the end because of that, I feel mm-hmm. like. I think a great example of that type of filmmaking where they aren't using anything other than direction and performance is before he goes to, you know, try to kill himself when he's sitting alone at that bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he has a drink in front of him and he, he's praying and he's telling God he's not a praying man, but yeah. I'm at the end of my rope. Please help me. Help me. 
and just crying yeah like soft tears yep and like no editing one shot no extra music it's yep. just a delivery right yep that's all you need yeah you know mm-hmm. I mean? yeah a good performance will give you that too yeah. like I, it, it's you don't have to force anything else and it's it i think that that is something that this movie does really well among obviously everything else that we're talking about now because of the fact that we are talking quite extensively of like some of the things that the movie has done tremendously well, does anything about the film stand out that could be improved or is a flaw or anything of that nature? Like, at all? In any... Not like, that, even a stretch. Not that I can think of. Well, it's I like, mean, what, you think back to the very beginning. It's like, well, how did it start emotionally? You know what I mean? Yeah. It starts with him in his bad ear. Remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his boss hits him. Yeah. That? Oh and, shit! And, and yeah, that was like, impactful. And makes him, and, he, and makes he's it, like, yeah. and he's like, "Don't hit my bad ear." And Jimmy Stewart, it wasn't Jimmy Stewart; it was George Bailey. Yeah, it was right. Played by a kid, obviously. Yeah. He has empathy for his boss. He just right. struck him. Yeah, right. they planted that seed like from early. the beginning. Well, yeah, it's like very beginning of the movie. I'm glad well, you mentioned that. Scene and you're already like, like almost really like, good. yeah, whoa, that's yeah. really sick. Well, and it's it's yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's you feel for George Bailey, but you also feel for the boss because in one very brief shot you get you get to see the letter that he gets where his his son died of pneumonia or yeah. died of influenza influenza, influenza. Yeah. and so it's like all of a sudden you understand why he in the beginning is being a dick to to George mm-hmm. and so at the same time you feel for both of these characters yeah. and you don't hate the boss for striking George although you don't you know it's not okay right you like understand. You, you don't yeah, condone you get the action, it. but you understand why you did it. It's like it, what yeah. you said earlier about how it's such an efficiently made movie. Because yep. all we got was a flash of the letter. Yep. And you have complete empathy for that character. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it just... business that he runs yep. and everything. And then when George Bailey comes back to see what life is like without him, um, yeah, that guy's not doing... Like, he's not he's doing like well a drunk all. in the streets or something yeah, like that. Yeah, remember? And it's yep. just like... He was yeah. in jail for like 20 years because... Also, I yeah. loved poison. about yep. this yeah, movie is like everything that you see in the beginning when he's a young boy and like everything mm-hmm. leading up to it circles back. Like when he's walking around the town, he doesn't have the bad ear anymore because mm-hmm. he never went to the lake, but that means his brother died because yep. he wasn't there to save his brother. Which then he couldn't and save the people in World War II. Yeah. He couldn't yeah. save the people in World War II. And then his boss... Ends up poisoning a kid and yep. goes to jail. Like, all these bad things that happen that yep. when you're watching it in the beginning, you don't even really think about that. It's, I yeah. mean, it's so well written. It really yes. is. Yeah, it, it really is. It, like I said, it's it's hyper-efficient. Like, yeah. a, it's... As much as I feel like, like you said, people think it's slow, It's it really is pretty quick in the information it gives you. It gives you everything you need to understand all the characters that... They don't really come and go. They exist within this world the whole time. Yeah, mm-hmm. the perpetual, yeah. Yeah, and then it makes the payoff greater at the end. Who was the writer of this film? Was it uh, Frank or no? No, I'm not sure. I'd have to look, but... Because mm. the way Hollywood worked back then is, like, it's super strange. Like, everyone just, like, had their job. You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, a studio would be like, hey, we want to do this movie. We'll hire that director to do it, and we'll hire this writer to write it. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> isn't that still kind of how it operates now? But now the directors have all the say now. Oh, yeah. okay, Whereas fair. in the golden age, it was the producers. Oh. Uh, but Frank oh. Capra was one of the few directors that had a lot of say. And a lot of times, you'd get a script that someone else wrote, and the directors would kind of like shred it and do their own version of it. Oh, so, fuck. So Frank Capra, I think, even if he isn't the credited writer, I think it's his, you know, I think he, like, tweaked mm. it into what it is. Yeah. Right. He tweaked it into a Jimmy Stewart vehicle. Yeah. Oh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Is makes the sense. Raven explained, or is it just to show... Um, that w- the room is empty. If, that's a good point because I was curious if there was like symbolism behind the raven. And also, uh, I also recognize that you know uh, it can call when things get quiet to know that 
<laughs> the room is empty. It's <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if it was explained. I all of a sudden there was a raven, and I just accepted that as like, yeah, that's <laughs> normal. Right? Yeah, like, I, I, didn't, I don't even think I questioned it. Well, <laughs> nope. It's also because Uncle Billy has like a collection of like uh, birds, and he has like a pet squirrel um, at his home. That's and where the, the and there, yeah, it's so funny because there was a squirrel that comes and hugs him, and I was like, yep, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, I and think, I didn't, I didn't well, even click I, that he had a collection. I mentioned like, right before. I don't even think I even during that scene because he's like all broken because he lost like eight thousand dollars, which I found. Stupid out. Uncle Billy. Wait, I found out that a crypto... gave it to Potter. Right? Oh, the enemy. <laughs> My gosh. And I found out, like, um, I was like, how much was $8,000, like, back then? It's like a hundred grand. I'm like, fuck! Oh, yeah. I'll lose my mind too if you lost, like, a like, hundred grand. That's why they were so upset. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, fucking hell, I'll lose my shit. But, um, real quick, the reason, uh, one of the 19 notes is that his wife passed away. Uh, he mentioned, like, this was, um... Such and such Loa left three years ago, and I was like, "Wait, did his like wife pass away or something like that?" Oh, this explains why he has so many pets, and that explains the raven. Oh, this makes sense. It is subtle, like you yeah. have to be efficient. They just hit you with little <laughs> that explains tiny... the raven. They just yeah. hit you with little things. It's, right, right. It's... Well, and it's it's. I think it also speaks to how in like how sucked into the movie that I was that there's yeah. a scene where he's crying and a squirrel just comes up and hugs him and I was like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I this, that's, okay. don't yeah. even remember the squirrel that is normal that is what happens squirrels come and they that's will embrace you that's how normal I thought it was crying. because it didn't even I didn't know there was a squirrel I just I just accepted it and now that I'm speaking about it out loud I'm questioning where the squirrel and the raven came from but it's it just like show goes to show you that if you're so immersed in it, you don't yeah, really and even... Like, and it's one of those movies, it's like, does it matter? Where no, it doesn't. Yeah, no. not at all. And yeah. I feel like there's, especially like, the 1970s forward, you just have all these people that are like, what does everything mean? Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's so annoying. Yeah. I, mean, I it, love like a good film nerd, but like, at mm-hmm. some point, totally. like, I think they did that to entertain you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I think, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to, you know, you said like a lot of this is deliberate in the movie, but there's so many times in movies, and I'm sure in this one too, where it's just not deliberate. It just happened to be that maybe the white shirt, I don't, uh, maybe not the white shirt in the background is a good example, but maybe the shirt in the background isn't some symbolism for something. It's just like that's the shirt that they I'm, put I'm on the. I wonder if there are some instances where, like, maybe the directors or set designers in, like, movies, even back then or even now, they literally just do something simple. Like, we, they place a boot on the shelf. So there's like, a really. Well, what's the symbolism behind the boot? There's a, a boot. really, really <laughs> funny video about the juice box in Marriage Story. There's a scene where, like, the, the drink that Scarlett Johansson picks is a juice box to drink, and she drinks it. Mm-hmm. And, like, the internet blew up. And so, like, what does it mean? What does the juice box mean? Mm-hmm. She um, juice. And it was that she just wanted, like, it was just that that was what they gave her. I think like, the most, like, it, egregious example of people over-obsessing over things that mean nothing is Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Mm. By far. Like, The Shining. Like, watching oh. all these people, like, what is that? It's like, it means nothing. It's, yeah, right. it's exactly. just a horror film. It's yeah. just, yeah, just it's, a horror film. it's just yeah. a movie. It's it's fine. But it's, there's yeah. Native Americans on the can of beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a can of yeah. beans. It's just a can of beans. Can you imagine being the guy that just designed the can of beans and is like, oh, shit. Oh, I, have to, I have to come up with something. Um. And they're like, he's wearing the Apollo 11 sweater. That means Scuba must have picked the movie. It's like, nope. No, <laughs> yeah, actually, no. no. Just like, oh, just a popular sweater in 1980. Yeah. You gotta admit, like, like the level of like I would say like how far people are willing to go to make these connections. Like, 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 like yeah, like, like they almost, <laughs> they almost like ruin the movie though. In right. a way. It's like shut up. Yeah. Watch the movie. It's <laughs> yeah. Just, it's but, just for fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's almost like people just sit down and, like make a podcast. <laughs> No, no, I'm kidding. But I, I agree. It's like, and I, I do kind of think that like. Those type of cinephiles 
that are gatekeepery in that way are yeah. what turn off a lot of people to getting into movies like like almost checking out like movies like this sometimes mm -hmm. like it's intimidating because of the dialogue that's created around it right which is so dumb because you as as somebody that i'd like i consider myself a movie lover a cinephile or whatever mm -hmm. i want more people to watch movies yeah. like i don't care what you, you take away from it of your favorite director. yeah i'm not like yeah <laughs> you can't watch this if you didn't notice that there's a white shirt hanging in the background of you didn't notice right. that Ugh, hey, plebeian he like, loved that you noticed it. Yeah, yeah. I know, he does. Did you notice that there was he a, a white shirt in there? He loved that you didn't notice it. He's like, That's what he You're loves. Yeah, I, lo I love myself and also, yeah. He's no, like, but... oh, Riley didn't notice? Heck yeah. No, but I, I, it... I think it's one of those movies that can't be gatekept because of yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 It comes back to mass appeal and art. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I, I guess I'm more so speaking about just, like, those people in general. Yeah. Like, it's... The Stanley Kubrick one. Gosh. Fan base for Kubrick is just... I mean, big fan, but like the big fans are like so annoying. There's, yeah, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a, a versions of that with new wave uh, directors too. Like you get a bit of that with um, Ari Aster now too. Like, have you ever watched it? If this podcast blows up, I'm I'm mean, but like, do you ever watch like an Ari Aster interview? Ari Aster, yeah. Dude, he's pretentious and he loves himself so hard. Like Oliver. He's like the way. Oh. He's like the way I construct the world. The way I write character. The way I. Like, yeah. Shut up, man. Like you're, you, made, you made a one good horror movie and one mediocre one. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I, I and I think it's one was way too long. Ooh. Midsummer. Mid at an hour. Yeah. Movie was hey, Hereditary is real good though. Hereditary is number one. Like the best horror movie of the last twenty years. One hundred percent agree. Yeah, but this, I, I give him that. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent agree with that. Him annoying. Yeah, yeah, that's also fair. That's also totally fair. I mean, it's I pretty sure listens. Oliver I likes. Him. I hope him and Keanu Reeves listen to this. Damn. Oh, <laughs> you didn't know that they're just, they're just super beloved. Yeah. So we have yeah, we have forty <laughs> subscribers and two of those are Ari Aster and Keanu Reeves. I don't know if you. You didn't know that. Like we get a cease and desist. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Couple of episodes in, cancel. <laughs> That'd be exciting. That'd be fun. Well, uh, Midsummer had a huge fan base, though. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah I just personally didn't like it. I didn't like it either. Yeah, I Oliver really liked hereditary. it. I didn't. You think really Hereditary really like it. rocks pretty hard, though? She doesn't. No, she doesn't like Hereditary. Wait, that's okay. Uh, no, it's. Not. We actually did a podcast episode on it, and it got ruined. Um, it was our first it was our episode. First one. Yeah. No, there's just a couple things in it that kind of just ruin it for me as, just, oh, a, yeah, as right. just a horror film in general though do you think it works well just face value it's a good horror film no no for sure there's it's not a master there's so, there's just a couple things film. in it that I, I'm sorry, are really yeah. cheesy that what's your what's your cheesiest thing for you because i'm curious. easy i can answer it for you <laughs> can i answer it and then you can confirm if it's right <laughs> there's specifically one scene in it where the mom uh like crawls across the air in the yes. background Swimming. She's like, yeah. is that the right scene is that the yeah that's the scene there's another one too and i can't remember it right off the top of my head she clearly wired up yeah. <laughs> dangling so bad I... so bad Oh like, man, do this. The Tony Collette glide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. You can just, it. In, the, in the reality, you can just hear the. This is turning into the hereditary it. episode, but I just don't understand that because there's a couple other scenes that are just like so creepy and so right. good. Right. And it's like, like how do you do that? And then she just swims in the air. I like, I don't. <laughs> I. I love that movie. Yeah, no. And it's talk about movies that. I don't hate it. Is it one of your favorite horror movies? Period. Yeah. Or just of a certain. Like like 
I I I love that horror movie. I I think I more so agree that like in the past decade, it's like the best horror movie that's that's come out. I would say since like the first Saw movie, at least. Well, mm. and and it's funny that you mentioned Saw, and we should get back to It's a Wonderful Life. But it's funny that you mentioned Saw because <laughs> whereas yeah, <laughs> we're we're literally on the other spectrum. Of we're, in a, we're in a different century and a different genre. <laughs> right. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Saw because what Hereditary I feel like did for it created the elevated horror almost genre that came out which i hate that term but it it created this or at least kicked off this genre of horror that feels a lot more cerebral than like a lot of the horror movies that were coming out saw did very much the same thing for like the the what's it called torture porn genre See, of horror movies I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a hill and say i don't think the first saw movie is torture porn at all i don't think so either it's the like first, an investigative it's an investigative crime drama awesome movie with a great yep. twist and then it turned into torture porn. yeah the second one and and they're on the out. second through final chapter plus jigsaw and the spiral new, yeah spiral yeah i agree 100 percent. but but more so i guess the saw franchise or did a lot for the gore Torture, torture porn. You get like hostile in the same yep, time period. Yep, martyrs type of thing. Uh, Which is fine. I mean, if you like that stuff, I he, personally am not very a big fan of just torture porn. Yeah, yep, me either. But it, it is interesting because I think like regardless of how you feel about Hereditary, it's it has done something for the modern horror movie right. that many others have. These like I, I we're talking about Saw and It's a Wonderful Life. Literally. <laughs> Complete opposite movies. Well, actually, there's symbolism. No, I'm just <laughs> I wish I could draw a comparison there, but there, I, I can't. There's... Is there anything we can draw? To yeah, the uh, a puppet. Really... Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, if he, if Saw would be a good movie for you to discuss at some point. Yeah, sure. I agree. Well, there's a lot about Saw that's really cool. True. Highest grossing horror franchise in history. That's because they made like seven to eight movies. Hey, my mom would not let me watch that movie. She, my mom watched, let me watch every horror movie except for Is Saw. that true yeah. even with Scream now? That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, it was know. like eight years ago. Yeah. Fair yeah. Because I remember when the final chapter came out in 2010, it was like the highest grossing horror franchise ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> ever. Sick. Nice. Nice. Well, as we talk been... about like great movies, how about It's a Wonderful Life? Right? That, oh, that's <laughs> that was... Let's go back to 1946. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from the torture porn. When, before we started the podcast, I had mentioned the Hayes Code. Are you yeah. are you not familiar? I'm not familiar with the no. Hayes Code. So, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life came out in the middle of what they call the Hayes Code era. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is when the talkie was invented in 1927. Like the, like the spicy chip? <laughs> That's what I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A talkie, like, like, yeah, I am. It's a, a movie with sound, like, it's actual. So, a talkie is a movie, like a, talkie. A, a movie with talking. Yeah. The post silent era. Oh, we've talked about this. I was this. kidding. I was talking. Yeah. We no. talked about it. We yeah. didn't. <laughs> Anyways. So oh, the, fuck. The, Why am I on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the talkie era came in in full force, and they started making really risque movies, mm. like gangster films with women scantily dressed doing like scandalous things and mm-hmm. gunfire and people getting murdered and pretty gritty movies like what you would think was coming out in like the 1970s and mm-hmm. then hollywood was kind of ran by a conservative guard of like corporate people mm-hmm. and they were like we need to figure out how to uphold american ideals in film so in 1934 they instituted a code on hollywood productions the u.s senate did 
that basically said you can't showcase indecent things in film, and that lasted until the sixties. Oh, mm. yeah, I didn't know that. And Frank Capra really was a good director at writing that line by doing stories about suicide and yeah. stuff like that. So if you watch movies between 1934 and like 1960, they're all not dealing with, they're not showing murder on screen. And right, there's, yeah. There's no nudity or bad words. Like No wonder I don't like them. Just kidding. <laughs> like you, couldn't, you couldn't cuss in movies. Yeah. And Be wholesome there. Have you, you ever watched Gone with the Wind? Mm-hmm. Um, the famous line at the end is frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yeah, that took like months to get Congress to. I allow, think I remember allow the reading about that. Go on screen. Seriously? Wow. Yeah. I think I remember reading about that. It was a huge deal to get that just approved. just for that movie. Damn. Yeah. Wow. And that... yeah, David Ocell's like the producer's like, I'm not changing the line. And yeah, really because that's an impactful. And the movie's due to release in like December, and it, this is like November. Mm-hmm. He's like fighting this battle, and like. Yeah, it's movie crazy. Has to get released. The public is ready. And and now look at the now look at us. PG thirteen movies can say fuck like twice. Twice. I think it's twice now. Dude, Jaws was rated PG. PG thirteen. Oh yeah. There's this and there's there's titties and blood. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. It's the best. <laughs> PG. I know. Well, Stand by Me was also PG, and they say fuck in Stand by Me. Yeah, and they. Mm-hmm. And there's a dead body, body, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Is it really? Yeah, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, I think it's a, Stand by me. It's a perfect, it's yeah. a perfect movie. Oh wow! One of the oh damn! Ooh, this would oh. be a good, a good movie. podcast episode for me. As well. Yeah, Maybe we should I don't have think that. It's to been a list. while since I've seen Stand by Me, but it yeah, it's really like if you're if you're if you're a boy who went through growing up. Oh yeah, it works pretty well. Oh yeah, it does. That works. Every boy wants to go see a dead body. Could you imagine being like in middle school and somebody's like, "Hey, there's a dead body down the train track. Should we go see it?" Yeah, of course. Of course. You and your friends would be like, "We're going." My friends did way more stupid shit than I go trying to see their bodies. Yeah, girls painted their nails. Boys yeah. are so I jumped off. I yeah. Boys, boys jumped so weird. Boys jumped off. Roofs. I probably would have been the dead body on the train track. Damn. <laughs> I used to play chicken with trains. So. Uh, oh, Jesus. Christ. So wait, hold on. You play chicken with trains, but not they go see a dead body. They did it in Footloose, and it was cool. And she never heard of Footloose. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Cinematic masterpiece, Footloose. So, okay, <laughs> it's really okay. Patricia I don't, w- man. I don't want to talk about Footloose <laughs> on this episode. I do like uh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. In Tremors. Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, where he gets stabbed through the throat. His first ever role. Yep. It killed him dead. Just like how deep cut Johnny Depp is in the first Friday or Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. Yeah. That's his first like big role. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same. We are going off thing. on a crazy he tangent. Gets, <laughs> he, he gets sucked into his bed. And yep. Just, and blood oh, splurts. <laughs> Yeah, super, super cool. nothing to do with Jimmy Stewart. No, or, <laughs> or It's a Wonderful Life. Well, actually, um, this was a question that actually came to mind because we were talking about how good horror films in like, the last, like, what, 20, 30 years have like reinvented the genre. Was there anything about It's a Wonderful Life that changed the course of filmmaking? I mean, we touched upon it quite a bit, but was mm-hmm. there anything like super pivotal that just changed everything? I mean, I don't know. That's hard because I feel like there's only a handful of movies that have really right. done that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Wizard of Oz did that. Mm-hmm. Um, Citizen, Citizen Kane, Kane did Seven that. Samurai. Oh, Seven Samurai. There we go. You can argue that Gone <coughs> with the Wind was a huge player. Yeah. Hereditary. Yeah. Hereditary. I'm kidding. But I don't really know. I think mm. it was just a lot different than a lot of mainstream movies because mm. that was like the noir era. Like, yeah. Humphrey yeah. Bogart was king. Yeah. 
Um, it was like it was like the pre sci fi era. This is post slapstick comedy era. Mm. It's kind of a weird just time period. It's, it's, I think it's in own general. bubble, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the post war pre nineteen fifties era is just a weird little time period for movies. Yeah, and and in the in the dialogues that I, dialogue and like conversations that I've always heard about this movie, I never necessarily heard. And I mean, again, I would say that Riley, you'd probably know more than me, but I never heard it like in comparison to something that's like changed the way movies were made or anything right. more so that it's just like a really damn good movie yeah. and that there's a lot of interesting, like we've already talked about, there's a lot of interesting things about it, like how it bombed and it got yeah. all these different things, but I've never heard it quite in the same conversation as far as changing the game, the way that like you described it, like Citizen Kane, yeah. a lot of people say Citizen Kane changed, changed the game and yeah. and other movies, but I've never really heard that about this more so that just like a really damn good movie yeah i think yeah i think citizen kane changed the craft a lot more but it's a wonderful life is far more wide-reaching and yeah. enjoyable to the masses i agree yeah. yeah i agree with that as well i i yeah and i know you're talking about like gatekeepers earlier i feel like there's like really hardcore cinephiles that just like gatekeep weird good movies you know what i mean yeah. have you ever experienced that yeah just like in general like oh you haven't seen this French oh, film from yeah. 1948? Like, no, I, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. And then they give no respect to like the great public consumption films like It's a Wonderful Life, which I think are well, equally or just more important well, in, I, in history. And I think that there's I think that there's something to be said too about being able to just enjoy a movie for being a movie. Yeah. And I think that like for example, movies that get shit on all the time like let's say Marvel movies. I think that you can enjoy a Marvel movie and then still go watch some weird French 1940 movie and enjoy both. I don't think that you have to... I don't think that you're any less of a movie fan if you enjoy both sides of that spectrum. It doesn't, like... Dis- uh, discredit you for having a cinephile card. You don't have it like automatically vanish. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that... A, I, I do think that a lot of people... Like, cinephiles, gatekeepery cinephiles, do do that. In yeah. that, like... Oh, you really enjoyed the new Avatar? Then wow, you must not really like movies. It was a fine or movie. whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's like it was, it was, the new Avatar movie was a fun watch. Yeah, sure, it was, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it my favorite movie ever? No, maybe not. But it's like I can enjoy that, and I can enjoy. We did it's a see wonderful it in four DX though, and that was pretty wild. Right. I saw it in the two D standard cinema. No, 3D I never. Left. I've 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 seen. I saw the original Avatar in 3D, and I saw this Avatar. In 3D. You know, this is actually that's just basically it. This kind of reminds me of like uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's um, uh, went to culinary school and actually is uh, works in kitchens and stuff. And I basically asked him like a fascinating question that's similar to this. It's like you can appreciate fine dining and you can taste some of the best foods in the world, but there are days in which you just want to go to McDonald's and have a freaking Big Mac. Mm-hmm. And I feel like movies are very similar in that regard. Yeah. I love a popcorn movie. Yeah, exactly. I love Pop- it. Yeah. I mean, me and Oliver do it all the time. Like, after working retail for 10 hours, we just want to come home and, like, not really think. Yeah. So we put on trash TV or a trash movie. We'll like, I, Netflix. We'll just, like, take the latest holiday flick yeah. they've uploaded and just, like, cool. Yeah. I, like Sometimes new, you just need Lindsay to do Logan that. holiday movie. Did you watch that? No, is it good? Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. No, almost is, as great as It's a Wonderful Life. I well, and it's it's. I think I've mentioned it on on this podcast as well before, but it's like, I I can give a movie like Twelve Angry Men five stars in my book. Like it's yeah. a you know five star movie, and then I can give a movie like Samurai Cop 
five stars. Yeah. Two of my favorite Christmas movies are It's a Wonderful Life and Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both That's like, one where he gets the toy, right? Like yeah, the, he's trying to get the toy for his kid. Yeah. And he's just like running into hijinks yep. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... They're completely different. I think that I, I can... Enjoy both. I think I can love It's a Wonderful Life as a Christmas movie and also love Die Hard. As a Christmas movie, yeah, or, or love, Violent Night, or love, <laughs> not or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and just like love all those movies, think that they're all the same ratings from me, but not to be compared. Right. Yeah. You know? Speaking of ratings, uh, should we just dive in and go into the ratings piece of things, or unless anyone has any additional thoughts before we wrap it up? Thoughts on the movie? Any additional last points before we get to? Rating, usually we'll just leave a rating, like a five out of five stars, we'll review a movie, and then we wrap up the pod from there. So well, usually we ask a couple questions. So had, I was going to say, if you had to rank the writing, the acting, and the direction, first, second, third place, how would you, how would you oh do God. it for this movie? The, okay, say that again. The writing, writing, acting, and direction. You have to rank them one through three, one being the best aspect, three being the least best aspect. How would you go? Writing, acting, directing. I will directing. say, That's writing, acting, directing. Because the story's really? the foundation, the acting is fantastic. That's kind of what I was. Like, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Oliver. I don't think I agree. I oh, think fair. I would do. Oh, man, that's tough. That's such a hard question. It's a dumb question. <laughs> it is a really dumb question. <laughs> because without each other, it doesn't. Yeah, it yeah. breaks apart. It yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, it you you couldn't remove any one piece and it's still, it still work right. in the same way, at least. But I think you need Jimmy for the movie to work. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you would go like acting, go, writing, directing? I don't know, but Frank Caffer's direction is like... See, I was going to go yeah. directing, acting, writing maybe at first, but then I was Why like... Why does put writing at the bottom? <laughs> well, the writing is really good, but... This is like we touched her rank them. Yeah, exactly. Well, and we touched we touched earlier on like the subtle acting. Right. 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 I almost feel like you could of the crowd. Yeah. yeah, The the actors are so good that even if they were had like worse writing, it could they could still pull it off. Is that does that script come to life and that performance come to life without Frank Capra directing them? Mm. Well, that's what I mean is like that's why I was like, I think directing, acting, writing for me. I think that's a good pick. Because none of it's possible without Frank. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I was sitting, directing, acting, writing. But it's a dumb question because it's, <laughs> it's a stupid it, question. I regretted I, saying it. Right yeah, now. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, never coming it. back, never coming back on the fight. No, I. Shannon's like questions, and I was like, just came up with a dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> like, is "It's a Wonderful Life" a good title? No. I, I. Uh, if you could retitle the movie, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is "It's Wonderful" or "A Life"? <laughs> Top three words. No. <laughs> I uh, what I did want to ask you though before we got to the rating portion was, uh, you had suggested the movie, mm-hmm. and I think like the first thing you said was the black and white version, not the colored version. Yeah, we all watched the black and white yeah. version. Good. I, yeah, it's so weird I, that there's a colored version. I have zero interest to watch the colored version, yeah. but you you felt obviously really strongly about it. I think a lot of people do. Do you like what? Yeah. Why is that? So just there was this huge movement. I don't know if it was in the seventy. It was probably in the seventies or eighties. Um, where these like public domain films were getting picked up by color restoration companies mm. and being switched to color to resell to the public. And Jimmy Stewart was one of the leaders of this campaign of actors trying to end that because mm. he was like, the artistic vision of the film was not to be in color and you're disrupting the vision of the direction and the cinematography by colorizing the film. Have you watched sense. it in color? No. 
Yeah. Um, I would be interested to like it's right. see what well, it's, it's like, but I don't. I I agree. I don't think it's because people are like, what's the big problem with recolorizing a movie that didn't have that technology? I'm like, it did. Technicolor came around in the early 30s, and this is yeah. the late 40s. Like well, they could have shot it in color, but yeah. they chose specifically. Well, and not even to. yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, and even I if it about, didn't like, exist, there's something too. like I. I don't know if I'd Did, like I think that they colorized color. that too. That's I don't think I like that. that. I think they colorized Night of the Living Dead. Actually, I know they colorized Night of the Living Dead too. It, it's it's terrible. Yeah, it's just not. Well, it's and not, it's it's it doesn't make any sense. It's like it, and I I mean I agree. I think like a movie like Raging Bull hits completely differently if it's in color than mm-hmm. if it's he in black and white. In color. Oh, I know it was in in the eighties. Yeah, um, there's plenty of color. Yeah, and there's lots Schindler's, of color to go around. Well, I mean, there's Schindler's part of there is a there is a short part of the movie that is in color. A raging bull yeah the the portraits or whatever mm-hmm. yeah i i agree but i mean i it's just one of those things where it's it's it is a better movie for but yeah it is a, the creators to be a specific way because it's not impact be, not only how like, how does that even like compose but everything yeah. else in terms of, like shots and like, cinematography how well, you set like because color and everything. color design is a huge thing if you mm-hmm. want to use that as a storytelling device right your color palette like a cinema, oh yeah like, yeah it's huge so having some opportunist create your color palette you know, Ooh, yeah, that actually yeah. doesn't make any sense. That actually makes me realize: does the inclusion of color, because as you just mentioned, that brings a whole new realm of like artistic consideration, mm-hmm. color palettes, and things of that nature. Do you think because this film in particular is in black and white, or any film is in black and white, because that removal of color allows you to focus more on the other elements that you would naturally draw into, like character like and like performance? Yeah. yeah. So, do you think that is purposeful just for those aspects versus color is too distracting in certain ways? Yeah, and I think it's one of the ultimately just comes down to what the director wants you to see. Yeah. And I think you can start discussing that more with newer movies just because mm-hmm. of how much easier it is to access color equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in the 1940s, to shoot Technicolor was still a bit of a task. Yeah. So it could have very well been, we don't have the budget for color. Yeah. Um, but like Steven Spielberg shot Schindler's List in mm. black and white on film and he didn't have to. Yeah. But yeah. his whole thing was, he was like, I wanted to put people in the Holocaust and right. when you see photos of the Holocaust, what color are they? Right, right. They're not yeah. color. Yeah. So that was an artistic. Could, could you imagine Schindler's List in color? Ooh. Yeah. It just doesn't work. <clears throat> no. It doesn't work at all. And the fact that the lead actor of It's a Wonderful Life led a campaign to end the colorization of it makes me as a viewer say, all right, I'm not yeah. going yeah. right. to watch it. I'm yeah. not going to watch yeah. color. Not, no not even going to, not yeah. even going to support it or watch it. Yeah, I agree. And I just think that at the same time, it's like, if the director has a vision for something and Why they're happy, yeah, and they're happy like with taking this is like a, a famous example. Like, have, you, have you watched Lawrence of Arabia? Mm-hmm. Have you watched that movie? Yeah. So that movie is like a four-hour epic. Right. Whoa, it's epic, huge, and some producers after it was released cut an hour out of it. Oh, it happens all the time they in movies an, now. They cut an hour out of the original movie and that hour was lost for like two decades director's cuts wow. yeah. yeah and it's like do they why you changed the entire movie by removing like yeah. the aspects of it mm. i don't see that being as any different as changing someone's color grades no right? i mean it, it yeah. yeah yeah it would be like you know i'm gonna just add a mustache to the mona lisa because i think it looks better like that <laughs> right literally though it's it's, it's yeah. changing the art yeah it is well, fundamentally then that, i feel like this is one of those things where i'm, I'm hearing the voices of like like counter arguments coming to mind and it's like well isn't art supposed to be a transformative medium in the first place why make your own movie yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what i would say make like your own picture yeah <laughs> if you think you make can do something it else like they created that movie the way that they wanted it 
to be mm. created why would you change it and i think mm. that they're i think that there exists essentially changing their art and that's like you know and and fair. i and i think that there exists like you know director's cuts of movies yeah. because a lot of the time things do get left on the chopping like on you know on the trimming floor mm-hmm. for movies especially nowadays at least from what i've heard is like the ideal movie is like 90 minutes long it's like the uh, most efficient yeah. you want it to be as efficient as it possibly can be so that more people can see it in theaters and they can mm-hmm. you know have more show time type of thing yeah i just reminds me i just think about but, business. yeah exactly empty yep. man that we watched empty man is a great how, example how long it's like two, two and a half hours, hours or something like that hours and they didn't want to release that movie they didn't they didn't they, like, release they it did, yeah. they basically didn't release it because it was longer no than 90 minutes, and they're like, nobody's going to go and watch this. And it all comes down to, like, market research, then, yeah. too. It's it, like, our yeah. attention spans are shot. Oh, they are completely yeah, shot. I'm the because perfect we, example. Yeah, because <laughs> we have such digestible, easy things to be entertained by, whereas back in the day, you didn't have any of that. Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. wanted to be entertained on screen, you had to go to the movie theater. You yeah. had to. Unless you have, But like then you do see movies like Empty Man, where <laughs> I... I can't even that, imagine an hour being cut out of that movie. Like, but I that movie like is work. that you know, and I don't want to make this the Empty Man podcast know, either because we've touched on so many different subjects. But that movie is we've talked about right place, right time type of thing. Yeah, that movie was wrong place, yeah. wrong time, and it. The only reason it got released in the form that it did was because Fox. It was purchased by Fox or, or it was Disney. Yeah, Dis, it was made by Fox. Disney purchased them, and Disney was like, we can't release this movie, so they just dropped it on a streaming services. It'll never get a, f- a physical release. Mm-mm. It was not even in theaters. It's a rated R, two-and-a-half-hour horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, weird and different, and it's fucking yeah, good. Distribution is, like, one of the biggest yeah. kinky roads in film. When yeah. the movie um, releases hard. Funny you mentioned distribution. I was actually, uh, there was this clip of, I believe it was Matt Damon on Hot Ones. Uh, that's the YouTube, you know. Where they, they eat the wings. Yeah, and they do. They eat the wings. Yeah. They the eat wings. the wings and they're like, it's hot. Yeah, basically. <laughs> this, is, this is a hot one. Basically. And then the bald guy's like, I pulled up your Instagram. Right, right, basically. <laughs> the same show over and over. <laughs> right, right. But uh, he, Matt Damon introduced a very interesting insight about DVD sales and how that created a huge change in the movie industry and how it changed how they did marketing and how they approached cinema in the first place because... The original question was, why does it seem as if Hollywood is not creating original films anymore? And Matt Damon introduced, well, because the DVD sales was actually one of the huge revenue like draws for Hollywood. And since that was taken out, uh, uh, movie studios are trying to be safer when it comes down to film releases. And mm-hmm. distribution just was one well, of those things that sparked that. Well, and, and like the I, when I really started getting into movies and like following different directors and watching different movies and asking that same question, like yeah. why aren't I, I watched some really cool indie movie and I'm yeah. like, why isn't there more of these movies out there? The number one reason is you pay with your pocket yep. or you, yeah, you <clears throat> pay with your, it's all money. Yeah. It's all yeah. money. So basically like the movies that are constantly doing well are established IP movies. They're the giant blockbusters that they're, the, they're the avatars. They're the Marvel movies. They're the transformers, whatever it might be. Um, and so what that tells the, the big wigs that make the movies is, okay, establish IPs, movies yeah. under 90 minutes or whatever, or over less than 90 minutes, all these different things is statistics. And that that's what makes money. What yeah. doesn't make money is like the weird little movies that like everyone at this, in this room love, mm-hmm. I would assume, mm-hmm. but it's, it's doesn't make money the same way as like, oh, we can, we can make we can relaunch Friday the 13th for the 
fourteenth time but or then something. You which don't... they're due for a new remake, I think. Honestly. Yeah, I think that I, I think <laughs> that the years. rights to it just got released. Well, right. the, yeah, it's been tied up with a new line and yeah. another person. It's just nobody released it to Silver another person. line media or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's a yeah. I think we like a lot of people complain. I think Marvel movies are the easiest target to yeah. complain about. Mm. But without those, <laughs> we don't see other indie films in theaters. Oh yeah, they're the only reason a theater is open right now. Is yeah, like that. Totally. Yeah. And also, it's because of the popularity of certain genres of like superhero movies nowadays that you can have one-off uh, films that are actually like pretty damn good. Like, I know there's a better example, but I guess the best one is like Kick Ass. That's like the one that comes out. Um, or even other ones that are like uh, breakdowns of said films. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where. Having a established genre and established like film franchise, yes, it's annoying, but it does open the opportunity for more fascinating stories to be told. Well, well and it's always like it's cinema history, like like we don't like to admit it, but it's all just been regurgitated from the beginning. Yeah, it started with yeah. books. We took yeah. books that yeah. were established IPs and turned them into movies yep. Yep. forever. Yep, and then you started seeing sequels and spinoffs. Like in the thirties, yep. you, you had Frankenstein. Then Bride of Frankenstein and Son mm-hmm. of Frankenstein and House of Frankenstein and you mm-hmm. had Dracula, Dracula's Mer- daughter. Then you had the House Wolf of Wolfman is a whole thing too. The Wolfman, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yep. Like they're all sequels. <laughs> yep. It's it's IP that works. That was the first universe. Literally. Oh my yeah. god! The, I'm uni- the, the, the universal, no, the universal horror. horror. Yeah, yeah. Universe is was the first universe. And it was like in the 30s or 40s. Yeah, it yep. started in yeah. the early 30s. Yeah. And then it's kind of funny because Frankenstein came out pre-code pre-Hayes Code, and then this the sequel came out after the code was instituted, so they're completely different in tone, <laughs> but they're both just, like, excellent. Yeah. Have you, oh, damn. Have you watched many of those early? I've seen a couple. I don't think I've seen, like, The Bride of Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein is hilarious. Yeah. Dude. It's so funny. <laughs> well, and I make, think... They make Frankenstein monster talk. They make him talk in character, whereas in the original Frankenstein, the monster is unvocal. Yeah. He's just foreboding like in the book too and then in the sequel he's like learning how to smoke cigars and (laughs) but it's hilarious it's it's charming yeah fun yeah a lot of people consider bride of frankenstein the best universal horror movie oh really so well and i i think you know circling back to marvel is that yeah it is it's like the easiest target to pick on but at the same time if if it I, i really feel like if it's the movie that or if it's the universe or collection of movies that get people into movies, then I think all the better for it. Like if, if it's, if it's, you know, I'm trying to think of like the movie that got me into movies, but if it's that for some kids that are then going to be like, Oh, I want to make movies or I want to research movies or I want to see it's a wonderful life or whatever it is. Then I think it's like all the better for it. Yeah. And it will note that I think the Marvel movies and also technically, if you consider it Harry Potter film, it introduced the idea of you can actually create a film franchise that's beyond a trilogy and actually make it successful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that in of itself was a groundbreaking thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's opening up the floodgates of, oh, hey, you can actually create a successive series of like movies that are you know interconnected in the overarching universe. And that's really freaking awesome. And that then, opens up possibilities. And that in of itself is cool. And then everyone heard the ka-ching and yeah, just started doing yeah. the same thing. But I think Lots it's a business. I think it's yeah. a brilliant time to come into ratings. Yeah, I have one more question. Yeah. <laughs> so you had mentioned that like the this horror film that you saw it's two and a half hours, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. It was not successful. Yeah. But somehow in the nineteen seventies, it connected with audiences. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I'm just in the seventies. Yeah. Why do you think that story came 
full circle in the 70s on television and audiences were like this is a masterpiece jimmy stewart's a legend frank capra's the best but in the 1940s it just didn't work like why did why do you think that happened yeah i you know i honestly don't know um i it it's because i don't know the answer at all i'm just curious I yeah i that. i don't i don't really know i mean what was, you'd have to look at like what was going on at the time right it's, like I think that's like what it comes down to ultimately is like a movie is a product of the history in which it was made. Yeah. Right. You know? Well, and it's, 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 that's something that's really cool about movies too. I mean, we could sit and talk about that forever too, but it's one of the more interesting things about movies, regardless, like story aside is if you look at a, at a, at a movie just at face value, you could just tell what was going on historically oh, at yeah. the time. Oh yeah. And I did a, a little bit of research on this movie and it was, um, picked up by some museum i can't think of it and they talk about how you can just tell what's going on during this time like he does a really good job about showing the history of that time but not like in your face like if you have influenza you have kind of like the world war ii and they mentioned the depression the depression and all this other stuff there's there's actually a lot um i can't even remember exactly everything but there's like a call that mary has with whoever in new york and he starts talking about other stuff that's going on and it's yeah really well, I crazy think, i think that there's like examples in this movie of like literally talking about it mm-hmm. but then i think that with a lot of movies and this movie in general you can see the time like you can see yeah. the time that it was released just and how it was made and like mm-hmm. how things um are portrayed on screen versus i mean it's it's the same thing like you can see circling back to saw like you can see what the early 2000s were like just green, like yeah green, <laughs> green filter shaky like really yeah. choppy editing that's like movie like that well, was like kind the of just the trailers in the early oh 2000s were terrible in a world. yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. exactly yeah 100%. <laughs> oh my gosh oh, we've talked about saw We've talked about hereditary. We've talked a little bit about it's a wonderful life, maybe. Yeah, touched on it early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I touched on This is that's not what this episode was all about. <laughs> but I do want to hear what everyone would review it. Okay. Out of how many? Five stars. Out and you five. can do half stars. You can do half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I would give it a five star. Wow. Five stars. Why? Not star. It's not. Yeah, defend your opinion. <laughs> why is it? Why is it a one hundred percent? Why isn't it? Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's a great answer. Yeah. That's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. You have to defend your rating. No. No, not necessarily. (laughs) No, I was totally kidding. There, there are. (laughs) There's so many different elements to this movie, and all that aside, it is a feel good movie. Yeah. There isn't anything I would personally change. Black and white 1940s movie that you. Shut up! Don't even say it. (laughs) (laughs) Riley picked a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, selling people on old movies. Yeah, that's really what it's about, and that's cool too. Like if if people listening to our podcast watch these movies, like that's a win in my book too. Oh yeah. How many listeners did you say you have? Uh, how many people are at this table? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. No. My no, mom listens. No, 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 no. I, it, Taylor, you next. So you have one five star. Yes, and uh, this is going to be the second five star because, holy what? shit, this movie is absolutely incredible. Just from the overall story itself, the acting, the message, and the fact that I was constantly feeling the emotions of the characters throughout 
it's just an absolutely amazing film. And thank you, Riley, for recommending this because I know it's been in the bubble of considered one of the best Christmas movies of all times. Never had a chance to check it out. But I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to watch it. So thank you. Yeah. Because this is an amazing movie. Because if it's one of the best like if it's one of the best movies ever, it's gotta be the best Christmas movie. Oh, for Has sure, to right? Be and it's yeah. one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. So Really? Yes. It is oh, wow. fucking incredible. I'm not gonna lie, there... when it first started and the stars and galaxies were talking, I was like, fuck Riley. I, was, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> Are y'all but, just are y'all just think, trying to suck up to Riley? Or? Flourish just slides in. <laughs> <laughs> He's a star. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I was that's like, oh, what is happening? That yeah. was pretty cool. Like the fact that he's that back in like the late forties. I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I think I that's think state of the art. Like, they move stars. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think and I think right when that happened, Shannon was like, oh my god, I need my wine. I, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did say that. <laughs> I think you should go next, or should I? No, I think Riley should go last. Really? Yeah. I go last. I think you know it's it's a tough one because I don't know if I mentioned it even on the pod or off the pod that mm. I try to see th- like I try to fall kind of in the middle of modern sensibilities with like also in consideration of what it was back then. I think I'm at a five. You think? Are you? Are you, are very you I could. Yeah, I could. I could. You know, it's it, this is one of those movies that's that's hard for me to solidify a rating on. Just because I think it could be four and a half or five. Fair enough, yeah. Both really good. I think it's a five-star Christmas movie. Mm. I think it's a really, really terrific movie. And I think I'm leaning on five. But again, like if I really wanted to sit and compare it against all kinds of other movies, it's tough for me to say, like, it's is it up there with all the other like really, really fantastic black and white movies that I've seen right. or like what am I comparing it to? I'm going to leave it at 5 because that's where I'm feeling right now but like like I like I've said like I've said in past yeah. like like I've said in past reviews sometimes I feel like ratings can grow and change like grow or decrease or stay the same with time. Right. I feel like the more I watch this movie the more I'll love it. Yeah. I just watched it really late last night. Did you cry? I don't cry. He doesn't cry. Did you? Did you get teary at all? I got teary. Yeah. 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 It's a teary movie. Yeah. yeah. No. It's yeah. it's it's a really really good movie. Yeah. I like I I would love to. I have a hundred thousand Blu-rays over here. I would love to pick this up and then have oh, it be like a reoccurring yeah. movie in like in, during the holiday season. That alone is a reason for it to be a five star movie to me. But you know, mm, not necessarily. Yeah. Well, one thing just because you want to pick it up on Blu-ray, do you see some of the Blu-rays? No, that I would re. <laughs> no, no, that I would reoccurringly watch it in the ho- like every holiday season. Well, speaking of rewatchability, I think that's one of the elements that, at least personally, I think is a critical element for a movie to be considered in high regard. Is the fact that it has that rewatchable factor, and this definitely is one of those movies. Yeah, that has it for sure. Sure. I yeah. get, I get it. Like, I get why it's such a loved movie. Yeah. I I watched it, and while I was watching it, I understood it, and afterwards, I got it, and I was excited to talk about it. And I like I, yeah, it's a really really good movie, and it's and like I, we said earlier, it's not just a good Christmas movie; it's just a good movie. Mm-hmm. You oh, yeah. could you don't have to watch this for Christmas; you could watch it in March. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, maybe like February. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> March is pushing no, it. No, I but I I like it. Truly, is just a good movie. Yeah. That being said, guest of honor. Yours. Five star, right? So it's one of the yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a five star, yeah. but I'm gonna try to explain yeah. why because mm-hmm. we talked earlier. I don't know if this was when we were doing this or not, but 
Tonight's like, a bit of blur. Because a five out of five means it's perfect. Yes. And like right. the criteria for a perfect movie, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Because some of my favorite movies, I wouldn't give a five to. Yeah. Like Clockwork Orange, been one of my favorite movies for years. To me, that's a four. Yeah. I think Clockwork Orange is a four. I think there's imperfections about it, mm-hmm. and it's not a massly loved, you know, it's not loved by the masses. Yeah. So that would knock it down for me. But It's a Wonderful Life, beautiful story, mm-hmm. beautifully directed. Mm-hmm perfectly acted mm-hmm. the length is perfect yep. the pacing is the best you'll see in a movie the ending is one of the best endings you'll see in a movie yep. Yep. everyone has seen it well, most people have seen it not everyone clearly not and everyone who's seen it nobody dislikes it even yeah. people that like well it's just like kind of a down like they still like the movie yeah like my, my boss doesn't really love the movie but she still likes it yeah so for me, it's up there in the, with the other greats, you know? It's yeah. With Wizard of Oz and Casablanca. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's and like a Shawshank Redemption. Everyone just kind of likes it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's what, for me, makes it a five. Yeah. You know, I enjoy it, and everyone around me enjoys it, too. And it makes you feel something, and I feel like that's what a movie should do. Yeah, yep. I agree. Sure. And, it, and it creates conversation, oh, which is another sure. aspect that I love about movies. It's not, I mean, it would have been, I feel like it would have been fun to, like, suggest, like, a terrible movie. Like, like <laughs> maybe next like time. Men from this year. I don't know if you saw Men. Oh! <laughs> oh, God. We're going to get into that's it. That would have been fun. Yeah. I love that movie. Sarah and I both hated it. Oh, oh my God. We did a two going, hour episode on that. Should we close so. this out before? We, yeah, yeah, we should definitely we really close should. this out. Stab. Oh, we should yeah. definitely close this out. No. I see. I was like, I'm not going to. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say it. Men, not for me personally. And as far as movies go, I think any movie that gets made is cool. Yep. It's really hard to make a movie. Yes. No. It's almost impossible. Like the odds of getting a movie off the ground and people watching it is mm-hmm. so slim. So. I don't think people think about that and it's Oh yeah. People don't think about that at all. Like no. people are like, God, that movie sucked. And it's like, you know how much time and effort right. that took those people to like bring their creation to life? So, yeah. Even though men wasn't for me and it was for you, I think that's great. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. The movie's great. Oh my god. Can we <laughs> not? We're gonna we're gonna we we need to tie this up right now because yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Go ahead. No, Go ahead. you started us off. You sounded like you're about to wrap us up. Yeah, I was. I was about to say, like, like, by all means, it please. Up, yeah. All right, cool. All right. With that being said, uh, I would like to thank our awesome guests for joining us tonight, and everyone for listening. Thank you again for tuning in. This has been Cinema Hangover, and we're signing off. Later, y'all. See ya. Bye. Peace. Hey everyone, if you want more Cinema Hangover, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We also post episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. If you have any movie suggestions or questions, drop a comment on any of our social medias. Also, if you have any drink recommendations, be sure to let us know. And again, thank you for listening.